This is The Five of My Life with me, Nigel Marsh. The series where I talk to notable people about five of their defining things. The way it works is my guests always choose a favourite film, book, song, place and possession. They tell me their choices in advance so I can research them, but they don't tell me why they've chosen them. That's the subject of our conversation. The reason I devised this series is I wanted to create a slightly different way to gain an insight into the real lives and thoughts of prominent people. Russell Howcroft is best known as a high-profile business executive, Gruen Transfer star and host of 3AW's number one radio show. In discussing his five, we discover, amongst other things, the sensitive family man and core values at the heart of all his endeavours. So, Russell, mate, welcome to Five of My Life, but more importantly, welcome to the, uh, the famous Sixer Club. That's my guests who have been suggested by other guests. And you were suggested by Will Anderson, which means we've got the full Gruen set. Uh, before we get into your choices, mate, would you mind just telling me about that relationship between you and Will? Well, it's, it's, it's a long one now, Nigel. So 12 years ago, I was invited to a screen test and they put me in a seat that I still sit in now. And um, there was this bloke called Will Anderson that was there. And um, I knew Will and that I'd seen him on the television, but I obviously didn't know him personally. Um, and then over time, we've become very good friends. Um, he is a deep thinker, uh, a thoughtful character, um, just watching his comedy shows are quite interesting, Nigel. They're, yes, they're funny, um, but there's always a point to his, to his comedy. Um, and uh, he, he's interested in society. Uh, he's interested in um, everyone doing well. Uh, he's, uh, he's got a good heart. He's a good person. So before um, I interviewed him on Five of My Life, for research, I went to see his improv stand-up show. Right. And I, yeah. I was... I was just blown away. I mean, I sort of thought maybe it was a joke and he did a little bit of improv. I mean, he just came on and did two hours, you know, oi, yeah. what, what do you do for a living? Who are you? And, he, and off he was going. Bang, bang. Yeah, absolutely fabulous. But but we were blowing smoke up your backside um, uh, on Five of My Life because he, I, I really liked the cut of his jib and he was talking about your role on The Groom, which I don't think people realise how truly successful it is. I mean, obviously it's successful, but it's like one of the most successful TV franchises ever in Australian history. Catherine Kim, Gruen Transfer, yeah. that's the sort of level you're talking about. Uh, and, yeah. and we were both agreeing, sparing your blushes, mate, that, that that is very, very largely down to you because having a bunch of anti-advertising people on the ABC agreeing how slightly embarrassing they find advertising, it, it, it wouldn't really fly at the levels that the Gruen has sustained over a decade because you love the, the category and you are a yep. wonderful spokesperson and poster child for it. So more power to you, mate. Well, Nigel, you know uh, how much I love that industry and um, continue to love it to this day. And I am now not involved as I once was, but, um, you know, I sort of am involved with it on the edges uh, but clearly my income relies on advertising revenue, so um, I still have a great interest in it. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, we're going to get into your choices, mate, okay. and we start traditionally with uh, the film on Five of My Life. Okay. And you have chosen one of the two films that is reg the most regularly chosen. Is that right? 
Yeah, it's, it's so but because they're two completely different films. There's Sound of Music, huh. and there's Cinema Paradiso. Uh. And you've chosen Cinema Parody, which I adore. Uh, tell us your story behind that, mate. It did surprise me when I when I saw that it was a 1988 film. You know, because that is a long time ago. But it, it also um, shows how long my now wife Kate and I, my now wife, my wife Kate and I, um, have been hanging out because I saw it with Kate. Um, it for me. It's the feeling that I get from it. Um, and, you know, Nigel, I haven't seen it since that once. Um, ah. It is it's glorious, um, in particular when we get to the final scene where oh, all, the kiss, all the kisses are edited. Um, it, and, it, of course, it's, a, it's about the music. Uh, Morricone, is it? In, in, yeah. That's right, yeah. You know, just... The most stunning soundtrack. And when you think about just in your, just now, just think about all those edited kisses and then overlay those those images with the soundtrack, it's very hard not to feel instantly, you know, like a lot of emotion. Um, and we've also, many of us have been fortunate enough to travel around Italy and just get that wonderful, you know, the romance of of the entire country um, and also, really importantly, Nigel, um, for our wedding waltz, um, when Kate and I were married a few years later, uh, quite a lot of years out later, um, there's a there is a very small section in Cinema Paradiso, about forty seconds maybe, um, which is in three four time. Now, as you know, three four time is waltz time, and a wedding waltz ought to be a waltz. So um, I, I I remember just thinking about, okay, so what should Kate and I dance to um, when it's wedding waltz time? And I, I was a drummer as when I was growing up and, um, and in fact studied percussion. And perhaps that's why I remembered that there was a section that was in three, four times. So for me, the, the romance of the film, the fact that I saw it with my, uh, with my wife-to-be uh, and then the opportunity to have a three, four time part of Cinema Paradiso. And now, even now, when I think back to actually dancing with Kate on that on our wedding night to Cinema Paradiso, it was pretty good. It was a beautiful thing. Oh, my, I, I love hearing that story. And, and, and part of the joy of doing this podcast is hearing someone talk so movingly and authentically about something that's touched them so much and you saw it over 30 years ago once and it stayed with you that yes. is uh, so lovely yeah and and it's um it's that sort of european feel as well i mean even if you think about say remember same era big blue the big blue yeah, le grand bleu um and sort of the i mean a lot of people say that's an appalling film but when i think about that film i just get the the sense of that european warmth you know that uh, the, the the consistency of the sun, um, the consistency of the temperature, the diving into the Mediterranean. So it sort of conjures up beautiful feelings. Um, yeah, the big blue, uh, and of course Betty Blue, same same era. Oh, I love Betty Blue. Well, you love the first few minutes of Betty Blue, as you remember, Nigel. So <laughs> do you remember the badge? There was a badge that was people wore this badge saying, "Don't miss the first few minutes of Betty Blue." <laughs> <laughs> this is pre, but, you know. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to have to bring you back to Cinema Paradiso oh, yeah. just for two just for two questions, uh, um, because obviously uh, religious 
uh, sort of dominance of that society that led to the, all those kisses being edited out and sexual repression and all that stuff. It is just in your life, in your early life, what what role, and, and indeed up to now, what's your religious journey, if any? And and, and how was the, the, the sex topic dealt with in the Howcroft early years? Was, was it never mentioned or were you hippy-dippy? Uh, do you remember the book, Where Do I Come From? Yes, I Where, do actually. Yes. Um, so I came home one day and there was a book on my bed. <laughs> so I don't know whether you would call that dealing with it or not dealing or, or dealing with it at arm's length. Uh, <laughs> That's great. Yeah, I, and I, but I also were you questioned about it afterwards, or no, were you just left it? Just left it. <laughs> and I and I also remember um, the feeling when reading that book. You know, um, I don't know whether shocked isn't the right word, but certainly um, uncomfortable. Most definitely, it was an uncomfortable feeling. Um, I remember my first pornographic image as well, um, which is probably around the same time. I remember precisely where I was, and I remember the image extremely well. I won't describe it for you, but it was it was a cliche. Um, <laughs> religion. I interestingly, no one's ever asked me that question before. I um, did go to Sunday school for a period, um, Presbyterian Sunday school. Um, I don't really remember that um, either fondly or the opposite. Just that's what I did. The school that I went to was a Presbyterian school. Um, and um, if you asked me to sing Thine Be the Glory, I could do it for you. Um, and, you know, all the other sort of the staples, they haven't got a problem. Um, Lord's Prayer, easy. Um, my wife, Kate, is Catholic. And when we got married in her local Catholic church, and um, the wonderful Father Leonard, I, I wrote him a letter and said, do I have to do anything different? He said, no, just turn up. So he was a, <laughs> he was a lovely man. And then when, um, when our first child was born, um, I said to my father, my now, my now deceased father, my dead father, he, he died 20 years ago, Nigel. Um, I said to my father, um, oh, Kate, Kate thinks that we should christen Claudia a Catholic. And then my father rather wonderfully said, is there anything wrong with Kate? <laughs> Which I've always really loved, right? So um, I actually really like Catholic, the Catholic, you know, um, operation. I like going to uh, church occasionally, like Christmas. <laughs> um, although I have to say it doesn't happen so much these days. But um, peace be with you. Everyone turns around and says hello to each other, shakes hands, Um yeah, I, I like that element. I, I like um, people standing up in front of others and thanking for the simple things. I do like that as well. Um, I, I'm not. A, I'm not. I don't practice um, religion, but I certainly wouldn't claim to not be religious and not uh, and not think that the the spirit plays an important role. It's true. I do think about my father every day. That's his spirit and. Um, I'm grateful that I think about him every day. If I want to call that his spirit, then that's that's also a good thing. And I'm sure all of us are the same. Your, your dad sounds like a remarkable fella. He, he had the three H's, happy, healthy and honest. What a lovely... Yes. Yeah. Yes, that's what he, he said to... Yeah, that's a, that's a, he's a lovely story. Um, uh, you know, when all of us boys at a all-boys school... We were asked to go home and ask our parents, what you know, what do you want me to be when I grow up sort of conversation? And Dad just said, healthy, happy and honest. And when I answered, 
in that fashion the next day at school, I, I was proud of it, which I suppose is why I remember it so well. But I also remember the reaction from the teacher. <laughs> the teacher was most pleased oh, okay. um, as opposed to, yeah, as opposed to everyone else's answer, you know. Now, you said that you were a bit surprised because your film uh, was quite a while ago. Uh, your book, your second choice on uh, Five <laughs> of My Life, is even further back in history. Uh, you've chosen the, the 1967 book by Cyril <laughs> Pearl, which is a biography of the man that Banjo Patterson said was one of the three most impressive men he ever met. Cecil Rhodes, Winston Churchill and George Ernest Morrison. And your book is Morrison yeah. of Peking. Tell us about it. Howcroft. Well, um, unlike Cinema Paradiso, which I've seen once, I've at least read this three times, including um, on my honeymoon. <laughs> I read it. I read it prior to that. Um, so George Ernest Morrison, known as Peking Morrison or China Morrison, uh, just an incredible man. Um, he was an incredible young man, and as life went on, he just did uh, just super stuff. So I'm going to say maybe as a 16 year old or thereabouts, um, he walked from he walked from Queenscliff to Adelaide. You know, that's a long way, Nigel. <laughs> you know, sort of that's. Uh, you know, let's call it the same distance as Melbourne to Adelaide, just about, um, along the coastline. Uh, he just did that for kicks. I think it took him a bit over a month. Um, he then, um, he actually did 20 years after Burke and Wills failed. North to uh, south, amazing. He did the same thing uh, by himself. Not not everyone knows that um, that Australia had something of a slave trade. We... Um, the Canucks, New Caledonia, right? And he actually blew open that story. Um, he got on a boat pre um, pretending to be a ship, you know, shipman. Uh, he, in fact, was a journalist, and he blew open he blew open the story that Australians were actually trading in slaves, Canucks. Um, he went further down the Murray than anyone had ever been. He went into Papua New Guinea uh, further than anyone had ever been. He got stabbed in the stomach, stabbed in the eye. Um, he had started doing uh, medicine at Melbourne Uni, but he finished up finishing his medicine in Scotland, which is where he went to uh, to uh, have an operation because the Scots were awesome doctors apparently at that time. Um, he then, I don't know that he finished his medical studies, I'm not sure, can't remember. Um, he then went down to London, got a job at the Times, um, and he got a job as the correspondent to China. And he lived the rest of his life. Um, which is why he became known as Peking Morrison or China Morrison. There, he's actually donated his library to the Chinese government. There's a Morrison Street there. He um, was at the Boxer Rebellion. Uh, he became the most significant uh, voice out of China for the West. And, yeah, geez, uh, he wrote a book. <laughs> he wrote a book himself called A Short Walk Across China. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a, Russ, at the, the risk of being pretentious, I'm, I'm, I'm going to push you here because uh, I was unaware of him, to my shame. And I'm yeah, just no, most people are. totally be. blown away. An adventurer, a journalist, he would do mad things. And this was unarmed when it was the Wild West, basically, yeah. everywhere. Yep. Um, uh, so you're reading this on your honeymoon. You've read it three times. He's the most remarkable bloke. What do you think in it, beyond the boy's own, it's a, it's a rattling, amazing story, what do you think in it speaks to you? Why, is that, why have you chosen that on Five of My Life? You know, it, yes. Um, I, I, like the, I like the picture I have in my head of his library. Um, he was a, a, a thoughtful man. Um, he was 
influential was probably appeals to me, Nigel. Yes, I, I think I would think that that would be right. Um, independence, absolute, total independence, independent of thought, um, and quite happy to obviously you know venture where no other man dares venture, which he he did on you know numerous occasions. I, I think the fact that he was at he was. Um, uh, both part of history and a commentator of history, so he was able to articulate um, the importance of events, um, and you know uh, that must appeal to me as well. There's also a bit of a, you know, this this does play a role. Um, the school that I went to, one of its headmasters was a fellow called Morrison. Um, Morrison's that that headmaster had a brother who was the headmaster of the school down at Geelong, Geelong College, um, and George was the son of that Morrison. There's a house at the school that I went to, to called Morrison House. There's also a house at the school that I went to called Monash, and that is after Sir John Monash. I was the captain of the Monash House. I also, another favourite book of mine is the book written about Sir John Monash, who is also an incredible Australian. Oh, just astonishing. Yeah. I, I don't know why I've heard of Monash, but not Morrison. I don't know. Anyway, that's well, just... Well, Monash is war, so. right? Monash is, um, Monash is First World War, obviously, um, although not just the First World War. He was in, you know, there's... Melbourne, when I turn on my, when I turn on my electricity, uh, that's because it's coming to me from the Latrobe Valley. Morris, uh, Monash, sorry, was in charge of building the Latrobe Valley, right? So he yeah. was a he was an incredible man. Um, so yes, I, I suppose that does that definitely contributes to why I like the Morrison story because in a way I sort of feel only a few degrees of separation away from um, yeah. I, I, you know, if if I was alive at the time, I can imagine that I would have met him. Maybe that's part right. of it. Yeah, I don't feel too far away from you. You and Banjo Patterson. Yeah, uh, yeah, uh, yes. That that that's yeah. And um, there's a, that that era of individuals. There's, there's another fellow called Hubert Wilkins. Look him up, Nigel. Um, again, an unbelievable adventurer, Hubert Wilkins. Um, in fact, there's a book called The Last Explorer, which is about him. Uh, he was obsessed with being the first person to go under the. North Pole in a submarine, for example. <laughs> he, was, he was pretty amazing. Oh, my God. He, um, you know, those amazing Antarctic photographs, um, he, he used to contribute to those incredible photographs. He went to the Antarctic quite a number of times. Hubert Wilkins. Anyway, so there's a little area there that I suppose I quite like. I love it. Listen, we're going to change uh, pace and we're going to change era. We're going to pull you forward to this century, 2005. You've chosen the lead single from the Gorillas' second album, Feel Good. I'm really pleased to add this to the Five My Life Spotify playlist. It's incredibly diverse. We've got choral music, we've got the Gorillas, we've got hip-hop, heavy metal, We got and, and courtesy of Dear Rob Russell, we've now got Feel Good by the Gorillas. Uh, tell us about that. Well, it's just the baseline. It's not very complicated. Um, it, it's... It, look, Nigel, um, I... Uh, I like to dance. <laughs> Do other people like to see you dancing or is it a personal thing? I don't know <laughs> and I don't care. <laughs> Good um, answer. I've, I, I've, yeah, I've, I've never cared about that. Um, I, I know that uh, when, I was a, when I was a young man, um, you know, I, was, I couldn't help myself and um, 
and pretty much remain the same to this day. I can't help myself. I just have to. And um, So there's a corporate do and, and someone puts a good tune on. You're up. Yes, yes. <laughs> good on you. Yeah. And, um, yeah, so that's <laughs> – I remember, you know, my mother would say he can't help himself and um, and that is actually – I can't really explain how true that is and it sort of seems a bit odd um, but I really genuinely can't help myself and that song is the song that I can't help myself the most. <laughs> this is great to know actually. Like, you play it. You know, you play it, right? It's like, dun, 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 dun. it is a stunning bass line. And uh, it's a beautifully constructed song as well. The film clip's pretty good, but um, my, my family all know what happens when that song comes on. Now, the guy who, the co-founder of... <laughs> you know, when you turn 50, Nigel, when, when you turn 50, you're not supposed to dance at parties anymore. This is great. This is a secret weapon. If ever we want to throw you off, we just slip that on the background. You'll, you'll be talking to Parliament and then suddenly you'll be jacket off dancing um the, the, the co-founder of the gorillas so not damon dear old damon albarn but james hewlett when asked about that song uh said that it was about the media's dumbing down of mass culture which i f- thought was fascinating uh, <laughs> g- g- given who you are and the place that you you hold in australian society and you've got a, a megaphone on a, a whole variety of different platforms not just the gruen uh your number one radio show in melbourne etc um so i just would like to hear your view of the media landscape and how consumers currently consume it? Because the world has changed since you and I were babes in arms. Um, yeah, yep. tell us about that. Well, um, obviously, I believe thoroughly in the media um, and I believe in, the, in its importance in a democratic sense. Um, my, concern, my concern in the media right now is that it's... <sighs> become very binary um you're either for or again and life isn't like that um you know life is thoroughly gray um and uh, i i don't enjoy um there's criticism and then there's criticism um and maybe there i don't i don't even know where that line is but you sort of know it when you see it nigel and um i get anxious um with how self-righteous people can be, um, I I would I would hope that I'm not self-righteous. Um, I, it, very judgy, can't stand that. Right, um, we're all trying our best. Is sort of my view on life, um, and so I, I, I do get um, I do get annoyed about that. The other thing which does make me sad is that um, negativity actually is a business model. Um, the in, in an online sense, the only stories, well, the stories that get clicked through the most are the stories that are most sensational or have a negative headline, let's say. So you have to write your headline in such a way that it gets the most amount of click-throughs because the most amount of click-throughs generates revenue. So this is a, this is a really important thing that we should all recognise, that negativity and sensationalism is actually driven by the financial model of media. I don't know how we get away, get around that, Nigel. It's probably not possible. So I, I just um, tell everyone that that's the case in the hope that we sort of do this with our eyes wide open, right? Um, and, and you'll see it with journalists. Um, 
journalists will often bait um, the audience just to get that one line that becomes the headline because that is what generates the click-through. Um, and journalists, of course, um, can be... Uh, uh, the, the revenues that they generate can now be assessed um, because you can assess revenue by storyline. So that contributes as well. So, look, in the old days, the front page of the newspaper may well have been negative, i.e. the headline on the front page, because that would get the sale, but that didn't mean that every single article inside the book had to be negative. Well, now, in the digital world, every single article's got to pay its way, um, and that does contribute, I think, to the overriding cynicism, decline in trust. Yeah, in, in a way, it's terrifying. I, I've got a mate who's an editor of one of the... Um... Uh, better-known mastheads, and and he half-jokingly says there is only two rules in journalism. First, simplify, then exaggerate. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. And you go, oh, my God. I mean, that only works because you suspect that's got a lot of truth in it. You go, Sim- simplify it down and then exaggerate the crap out of it. And you go, well, that's not nuanced. No, um, and um, I remember many years ago I was asked to, um, to contribute uh, to the marketing of a new magazine. Um, including what to call it, and I wanted to call it Grey Matter. Well, it might have been Grey Matters. It was, I can't remember if there was an S or not. Um, and, yeah, and the whole sort of the whole proposition around the magazine was life is actually, you know, in the middle. It's grey and it's nuanced and, um, you know, it isn't as simple as perhaps the media might, might like us to think. Um, anyway... Suffice to say that that magazine cover never <laughs> never saw the light of day. But what a great... I mean, I, I would buy it. What a great idea. What a commercial disaster, <laughs> well, but I would like it. Yeah, I know, right? So, yes, and obviously the owners of the magazine thought that it wouldn't work. Um, it's quite interesting as I was doing my research around what to call that magazine. Um, you know, if you sort of go back to ancient Greece, um, the, the idea of truth was just a game. Right? The, the notion of a debate in order to find out the truth was just a game that people would play. It, it wasn't sort of quite as we treat it now. <laughs> Your fourth choice. Is this near Cape Shank, because I did a speech in Cape Shank, and I was I was Google mapping Sorrento Golf Course, and as I sort yes. of scrolled around, I I I think it's near Cape Shank, which I know. So the Mornington Peninsula, because yeah. I'm a Sydney boy, so I don't really know, you know, that your Melbourne, your Melbourne luxurious lifestyle, but it's down that end of the bay, is that right? That's correct. Well, Cape Shank is um, more towards Western Port Bay, and Sorrento is more uh, Port Phillip Bay. Beautiful. So there's bay. a peninsula, yeah, um, it, but. But close enough, close enough, Nigel. Uh, and look, and Sorrento is obviously named after the Italian Sorrento, clearly. Um, and look, it's there's lots of places which are you know wonderful and favoured, etc. But um, Sorrento is very near Melbourne; takes an hour and a half to get there. We go there as often as we can. The golf course is beautiful. I love playing golf. I'm not particularly good at. It. I'm not that shit at it. I'm just sort of okay. What, at what's it. your handicap? Uh, probably early. I actually haven't got one at the moment, but it'd be early twenties, right? Yeah, so not amazing. Um, I haven't got a bad swing though, Nigel. <laughs> anyway, so <laughs> good dancer, um, good golf swing. Yes, not bad. And I, I'm happy to play golf by myself. I'm happy to play with friends. I'm happy to play with people that I've never met before. Um, I thoroughly enjoy playing with my mother-in-law. 
Um, she's a good golfer and Kate has taken it up and I had genuinely the joy pre-COVID of playing golf for the first time with my wife. Um, and it's it's wonderful, isn't it, how you go through life and I'm now really excited yep. to play golf again with Kate. And it's a it's a very it's a it's a friendly course. It's not too hard. Some golf courses can be very difficult, and they can be hard to enjoy. Um, this one is um, it's not that friendly, but it's friendly enough. The last five holes, a few rounds ago, Nigel, I actually parred the last five holes, so I now use that as I as I sort of try and get myself to sleep in order to get up at 4.15 in the morning, I just replay those last five holes and I just feel really good. <laughs> I've got this thing when I play golf. I, mean, I play probably once once a year, usually with my brother yeah. when we can travel in England. And on the, fir- he, on the first hole, he'll say to me, you know, how often have you played? He plays twice a week. And I'll say, well, the last time, last time was when I played you. Yeah. Uh, and so, so I play once a year. And you go, all oh, right, so that should be fine. And then I will hit the perfect drive the yeah. perfect fairway shot, and I yeah. will one or two putt. And he will say, you're a, you're a bandit, right? And I go, and I go no, I, I literally, the last time I played was on this course a year ago. And then the next hole, I'll get a 10 and then yeah. an 11. Yeah. And I go, where was that first hole? Yeah. I, I was playing like Tiger Woods. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know how it works. I don't. It's, it's a, and this, this is part of the, you know, I mean, I, I have this sort of fantasy that I'll create a label, a golf label, and the golf label would be called "There's no such thing as a bad game of golf," right. which I, I, I absolutely believe. So even you were with your brother, right? So you had a, you had a few hours with your brother. So who cares about the golf, really? And and there's there's another thing about I think golf and I, I like this sort of notion that, that men men need to do something in order in order to have a conversation, and it's even better when they can do something and not look at each other as they're doing it. So. So golf, you're you're walking side by side, you know, with enough dis- enough distance between each other. You're not staring at each other. You're actually doing something. You can encourage each other, um, and you can have that conversation. You know, and it can be funny. It can be dramatic. It can be whatever. But I, I do think it's a great place for blokes. And I know obviously women love playing golf as well. Um, but for us blokes, it's a fantastic place just to enjoy each other's company, relax, have a laugh, you know, and... Um, I, I couldn't agree more. Yeah. It, it's the perfect set of circumstances to have a relaxed conversation. Yeah, yeah. And, and I've got I've got a sort of a terror. I mean, I, I love my friends and I love dinner parties, blah, blah, blah. But the, the model of I'm going to come to your house and look at you and we're going to do five and a half hours of uninterrupted chit-chat. You know, I mean, you, you are a lovely, entertaining bloke and I like you enormously, but you go, Christ, could we do something whilst we're doing that? Yeah. I mean, poker or, right. I mean, something. That's right. <laughs> I mean, that's why, you know, it's why pubs have got pool tails, right? It's, it's, yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, you know, it's funny, you know, I, you know, obviously often in business life, you know, we would go out with a client or whatever and, and sit opposite them for lunch, you know, and <laughs> um, I always try and find the table, you know, so it's the L shape so you can sit, Yes, um, in that L rather than opposite. Uh, and I genuinely believe that leads to a better conversation. Yeah, couldn't agree more. Now, I have to push you on sport because you are an AFL nut and you've been crapping on about golf, but, mate, you are Mr. AFL. 
So, I mean, which, which is which is which is like the moon to me. I don't know anything about it apart from there's too many people on the field and yeah. Melbourne keep on losing. But, yes. but you are. But you, Quite true. <laughs> so, so tell tell us a bit about uh, your AFL involvement. Are you still on the board of all these clubs? Or? Uh, no, I was on the board of the Melbourne Football Club, which was a um, a joy. Uh, we went through some, you know, as actually as Andrew Denton said when he used to be involved with rugby league, he said on on boards like that you see the best and the worst of humanity. <laughs> it's uh, true. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so look, I'm still a life. You know, I've been a supporter of the Melbourne Football Club my whole life. Um, when I used to do speeches, when I was on the board, I, the opening line was, "I was born in 1965," and every Melbourne supporter would groan because they all know the last time we won was 1964. So, oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we haven't won. We haven't won in my whole life. Wow. Okay. No. Nope. Okay. Nope. Um, uh, and we've played in the we've played in the grand final twice, and um, both times it's been record losing margins. Um, I am, however, on the board or the committee of the MCC, so that's right. the that's the, the the lot that run the MCG. So I'm still very close to you know the ground and to the sport, and I know the AFL well. And I yes, I love the game. Um, you do you do I'm sure have to be uh, from the southern states to. Yep. really be crazy about it. Um, although they're, they're doing a good job at infiltrating the North. <laughs> <laughs> We're coming on to your uh, fifth and last choice, which is uh, oftentimes my uh, favourite one because people get uh, traditionally more and more personal. Um, and it looks like you might have as well because for your possession on Five in My Life, uh, you've chosen your grandfather's watch. I- I'd love you to describe it to us first and then uh, talk to us. Yeah, so it's a it's a classic it's a classic simple faced Amiga, um, you know the gold. It's probably nineteen fifty, um, and it is the cliche where my grandfather took it off his wrist and put it on mine. And um, my grandfather was very very important to me um, as I was growing up. He and I spent a lot of time together, and. Um, uh, and now, even even now, when I think about him, I I would happily be uh, the grandfather. When hopefully one day I am a grandfather, um, I would happily just copy him. Um, a gentle man, um, a generous generous man, um, happy gardening and cleaning his car, and um, a successful man as well. Um, but you know, like the good life, um, I used to have to. I, when I think about the whiskies that I served him, I think he probably quite liked whiskey. <laughs> I used to, you know, oh dear, he liked whiskey, he liked ciggies too. And um, how old was he and you when the watch was exchanged? I would have been eighteen. Ah, so so he did. He didn't. He 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 gave it to you as a. You're now going out into the world take this watch not a deathbed thing yeah no i wish i could be really have clarity on that and i actually don't have clarity on that you know was it my 20th birthday was it when he knew that he he was ending i i haven't got absolute clarity around that and all i know is that um the day since the day that he gave it to me i've worn it every single day and that's so lovely, mate. That is just so lovely. Yeah. And um, and again, you know, back to what I was saying about my father. You know, I, I think about he was called Popper. 
Um, uh, Ernest, actually, Ernest Bradley on my mother's side. We all fondly remember Popper. Um, and um, it's just, it's lovely that I get to put his watch on. <laughs> and are you going to leave it to, I mean, gosh, how do you choose? Are you going to leave it to one of your kids? Or? Well, I've thought about this, Nigel, yes. And um, I think it makes sense that it goes to my first grandson. Right. Yeah. So um, so I, I have two sons, as you might recall. Um, but, uh, no, I think it, it, I think it seems right that, um, yeah, well, the, 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 perhaps the reason I have it rather than his son is that his son died before... Um, before Ernest. So my mother's brother died when um, he was a young man. He had three young daughters, and so um, Philip was his name. I didn't even meet Philip. I was—I don't think I was even one when he died. He died of bowel cancer. Um, I regularly go and have that check, and uh, interestingly, Bowel Cancer Australia has just recently asked if I would help them, be an ambassador for them, and so, of course, I said yes. Uh, Going back to that, I just think it's just wonderful that you wear it every day. It is, um, although you can't remember the precise uh, sort of era. I should or, have done my year, research. No, no, no. But but this is this is beautiful. It is I find it very touching, mate. It is. Um, tell me the story about when he actually gave it to you. Do you remember what he said, or was it a surprise? Was it wrapped? Did he just clip uh, it off his wrist and? Yeah, this is for you, Russ. You know, so oh. um, yeah, it's it's hard for me to find the words, Nigel, about about him. Um, he, i tell you one thing that he said to me, which um, oh, I've repeated many times since. Uh, he said, it doesn't matter what you do, Russ, all right? It doesn't matter what you do, just as long as you're good at it. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's pretty wise. Um <laughs> And then he would tell me all about, you know, the best truck driver, the best truck driver in Australia is Lindsay Fox, you know. So, um, yeah, it doesn't matter what you do. You may, you may have even said it doesn't matter what you do, just make sure you're the best at it. He might have actually even said it. It might have even been that, right? Um, so that's, uh, yes, I, I understand what he was trying to say there, you know. So um, just... Whatever you choose, just make sure you make sure you work hard to succeed at it. And uh, I suppose that that has resonated ever since, really. You've clearly had been uh, fortunate to have incredible male role models in your life. Um, what about the uh, uh, the female presence, like your your mum or whatever? Is would you mind talking a little bit about that? No, not at all. Well, I. Um, it, it, I, I grew up with an all-female family um, in that I only have sisters and my cousins are all girls, all women. And um, and my mother from very early on um, had me vacuuming and, um, you know, helping in the kitchen. <laughs> um, but she also had made sure that I was, you know, I opened up the door for her and um, and walked on the curbside when going down the street, which um, which I still do. Uh, then I lots of really strong women as well. In my, so look, my mother, of course, is alive now, very fit, very independent, strong, um, 
yeah, she's pretty. She's a pretty incredible person. Um, and it's quite interesting as, as as time goes on. I think everyone around her starts to realise, gee, this 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 woman's pretty powerful, right? So that's that's nice to watch happen to her. Um, and then uh, my that's Elizabeth the first. My father then was married again to a woman that we call Elizabeth the second, uh, <laughs> and she's a, an amazing woman, Elizabeth. Um, Glenn is her maiden name, and and her family had a significant impact on me. Big supporters of of me, Nigel. Um, and there's no real reason why they ought to be. Um, you know, I was sort of parachuted into their life with my father um, when I was a teenager, and and yet they have to this day are a big part of my life, my and Kate's and our family. Um, so that's that's a blessing, really, that you that that happened to me. Um, and Elizabeth II's sister, she was an um, incredible woman. Um, unfortunately, she has died not that long ago now, but um, she was a great and powerful woman. She had a publishing firm called McPhee Gribble. Um, and so I sort of, <clears throat> I mean, very, very early on, um, I reckon I wouldn't have, I would have been 20, uh, and McPhee Gribble had me to go and speak to them at a, at a, um, at a lunch, I don't even know why that happened, but still, it was that lovely, you know, Melbourne sort of cultural McPhee Gribbles, uh, Melbourne University, inner suburbs, ALP, women's electoral lobby, that sort of world. So <laughs> I, I sort of, you know, got to see it, touch it. I'm not saying I, I understood it or understand it. Um, and uh, what else do I say? I mean, I feel, I, I feel thoroughly lucky. The women in my life, Kate, as you know, is a very big part of my life. Kate only has sisters, um, so that's maybe that's interesting. I've only got sisters. All my cousins are women and uh, are married a woman who's only got sisters, uh, <laughs> and they're all great women, Um Fantastic, wonderful, strong women, beautiful women, and uh, Kate's mother is a tremendous, uh, a joy, um, very well known around the Sorrento area, um, funny and glorious person she is. Thank you for, for fronting up that question. I just find it fascinating. I've got two more questions for oh, you. Okay. Uh, the first is uh, you, you've had many successful roles so your granddad will be proud of you. you 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 choose something and you always excel at it mate uh, so whether it's tv radio advertising consultant uh or, or sports board director or whatever uh, what's your favorite role if you had to choose what are you most comfortable in? i know you love telly i know you love radio i mean we're um you just like them all or well i do like them all they, 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 yes i do um uh, look the, the world of advertising is very very close to my total being. Um, I, why? Uh, because I love ideas. Um, I, don't, I don't care whose ideas they are, I just love them. Uh, I love talking about them. I love trying to make them happen. Um, I love what they can do. Um, There's sort of you know, the X factor of ideas, as you know, Nigel. Um, and uh, that's my tribe. Um, I, I feel very comfortable in the advertising in the advertising environment. The individuals is what I mean by that. 
Um, you and I have been lucky enough to travel the world off the back of being in advertising. And, you know, Nigel, you and I are roughly the same height. That's another thing about advertising. Advertising blokes are all under six foot, so that's good. You feel They're all short. <laughs> yeah, no, right. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's true, right? So I feel, I feel comfortable in that environment. Um, it's, it's energising. It's full of ideas. Um, you know, the, 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 the butt bit about advertising is that uh, I love... I loved the the big the big work. That that was the joy, and as the advertising world has changed, the opportunity to do the big stuff became less and less. And um, I had to be honest with myself um, that 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 was what I liked to do. Uh, and so the consulting world actually allowed me to get back into being doing big things. Yeah, and. I suppose if we boil it down, I like to do that. I like doing big, you know, um, big thing, big impactful um, impact on the client, impact on the commerce of it. If I can impact um, how people are thinking, buying, you know, I, I, I do. That's that is a joy to me. Yeah, that, that's the uh, that's the George Ernest Morrison in you, mate. I reckon maybe it is. <laughs> maybe, maybe that's true. Now we can come on to our sixth traditional last question: uh, is who would you like to hear? So Will chose you, um, and, and we all we, we chase all these people up. It's quite hard when people choose Barack Obama, but we are still trying. Uh, um, uh, who would you like to hear on Five My Life next, and why? You know, I've been thinking a lot lately about another advertising gent. So I was thinking about Sean Cummins. Sure. And I, I think that Sean has had some significant success and I've got a feeling he's got some good stories to tell. That's, that's, that's a great suggestion. I, I think Sean's in New York. I'll, I'll, I'll um, have, have a uh, investigate this evening. I reckon he was creative director of George Patterson and I'm going to say at 23... Like seriously, when it was the biggest agency in the country, I might be. It might have been twenty-five, but you know, pretty amazing. That, that takes some self-belief, Russell Hackoff. You've been a total delight. I know how busy you are and how you got ludicrous get up at you know stupid o'clock every day. It's it's been really generous of you to come on, and thank you for taking the format seriously and being just so fascinating and authentic. Thanks for having me, Nigel. Good to see you again as well, and good to hear that. Lovely voice of yours. The Five of My Life was presented by me, Nigel Marsh. Producer, Alex Mitchell. Sound production and theme music by Darcy Thompson and Matt Nicholish. 